Welcome to the Travel Trade Exchange podcast, or Travel Stories podcast, since this is one of the first few episodes, and I'm producing these podcasts before I have my website up and running. I'm not quite sure what uh, what name I'm going to be able to give it when I eventually get it on iTunes. Sometimes this, the names that you want to use have been taken, so uh, just bear with me on these first few episodes until we get it up and published. Uh, today's October 27th, 2010. I conducted this interview yesterday. I've discovered that my five-minute call-in line uh, is fairly difficult for people to call in and leave messages. I had uh, a couple people call in and try to leave stories, and they ran out of time in the five-minute allotment that the uh, service apparently provides me. Now, neither one was cut off for overuse of time, and one went on for six minutes and cut himself off. But I would suggest just calling and leaving a message with your story as long as possible until you get cut off, and if you have to call back and continue your story, that's okay. Also, as I discovered, sometimes it's better for me to conduct an interview, and if you have a great story, uh, if it's possible, I would like to be able to call you up and, and actually do a, a voice-to-voice interview. Uh, but that uh, that may or may not occur in the future, depending on my time constraints. I'm doing this in my part-time, and I can't afford to spend an excessive amount of time during the workday to do this. Uh, but that may be a possibility uh, if you want to leave contact information. The call-in number is 206-338-4063, again 206-338-4063, and you can submit written stories to uh, www.traveltradeexchange.com. Another possibility to submit a story in audio format is to email me an MP3 file of your story if you have the ability to generate your own MP3 file. You can email me the story at story at traveltradeexchange.com. That's all one word, traveltradeexchange.com. Now this story is a story about uh, Brazil and the Amazon, and I was looking forward to getting this story from Bill because I plan on taking a trip to Rio, Rio de Janeiro, at the end of January 2011. So for me, this is a great story and contained good information, and I found it entertaining, and I hope you do as well. Uh, Bill's been a friend of mine most of my life, uh, so we have a lot of history together. And I mentioned in one of my earlier podcasts that I had taken him out in, in college and dropped him off for a hitchhiking trip uh, to New York and then on to New York. He, he cut a flight from New York and on to uh, Morocco and around North Africa. Well, this is a story that uh, he tells about a trip he took with his wife driving a car down from Venezuela to Brazil. And why I chose this story and why I really like this story is this is a story that exhibits a concept that most people have a problem accepting. And that is, through adversity, sometimes you create your best memories. I see this over and over and over again. I say your most memorable experiences come from your most uncomfortable situations or unplanned diversions. And I'm going to relate a quick story that uh, is somewhat similar to Bill's that uh, that I had. In in, in 97, uh, when I had arrived in Spain, 
my wife and family and I, uh, my wife and family had joined me uh, in Sevilla, and we sailed down the Guadalquivir River and around uh, uh, around to the Straits of Gibraltar, and then spent a week in Gibraltar. And in Gibraltar, I did some uh, improvements and repairs on my boat, and we were there about a week and a half, uh, and I got very tired of Gibraltar. And, and as soon as we could, we set sail again, and we planned on heading up the coast. We just went around the corner, and uh, the first night, it was only about 15 miles farther northeast, I guess it would be the direction we were going, to a little town called Estepona. And we planned on staying in this little town for one night. Well, uh, when we were staying there, a Sirocco started blowing, and we got stuck in this town for uh, probably over a week. And the first day, we were just bored sitting on the boat. The next day, we started wandering around the town, and lo and behold, there was a big fiesta going on in the town, and uh, people were dancing in the street. There were parades. There were horse festivals. It was just, it turned out to be one of the most memorable experiences of that summer and had we gone as planned we would have totally bypassed this this experience this is a story where bill had planned on driving straight through on a highway from venezuela down to the south tip of uh, south america where he got thrown for a loop and it turned it turned out to be a, a wonderful experience for him and a great memory I'll let him tell his own story. I'm just here to ask a few questions along the way. Now, one other thing I want to mention is the audio quality is so-so. I conducted this interview with him, uh, with me calling him on Skype, calling his uh, cell phone on Skype. Uh, and I found if I can do an interview with a Skype-to-Skype -Skype call, the quality is much better. In my opinion, content is more important than quality, so here goes. This is Franz Amison. I'm talking to my friend, my longtime friend I grew up with uh, in Logan, Utah. He's Bill. He lives in Alaska. Bill, you you uh, told a friend of mine a story about traveling down to Brazil one time, and you never related this story to me. But my friend t Dave, our friend Dave, told me this story, and I thought I've got to get you to tell this story online for us. So, what? Where were you going? What were you doing? You, you, I, as I recall, you had shipped a car from um yeah it's a it sort of goes with my with my uh career i end up i uh, have i have a real seasonal job up here i end up fishing in the summer and we're always looking for something to do during the during the off season the summer can be quite long so when my son was was young i decided well you know he doesn't have to be in school and we're gonna we're gonna uh uh do this trip we're going to, have to do a trip somewhere and what i decided to do was to buy a, a car and send it to south america and drive the length of south america the idea was to go from uh, from venezuela right on down to the down to Punta arenas down in, in argentina and that's a pretty long story but uh, long and the short of it was i found this car in uh, in um uh florida down in miami from from a from a car dealer car dealer in car dealer named Tony, and it turns out that this was a, a salvage title. It's one of those things that uh, the car had been hit in the back, all air airbags were gone, and uh, the only thing it was good for was parts or to export it. So uh, they wanted to export it. I wanted to export this car, and their choice was either to take the parts out of it or sell, sell it to me, and then I could, uh, uh, as long as I got it out of the USA, 
uh, things got a lot easier about getting it titled. That's what I had to buy on this thing and, and putting it in a container. And there's barge service that leaves Miami and uh, it stops at a few Caribbean islands and drops the car. Eventually, it dropped the car in the uh, Port Cabello in uh, Port Cabello in uh, Venezuela. And that's where I first met my ride. I ended up uh, down there doing a bunch of custom stuff that took uh, forever. It took, took a solid week to get all the uh, all the paperwork done. So we spent about a week in Caracas and uh, traveling back and forth with a bus ride down to the Puerto Cabello where the car was uh, uh, behind customs. So that's even all the paperwork to get the uh, car out of Hawk. Finally met the car, pulled it out of the out of the container, container, and started this uh, this drive across the uh, across the continent. So that was with with uh, my wife Jane and my son Miles. He was just a uh, five year old at the time, and we were uh, doing this sort of adventure, like a <laughs> I don't know, kind of a rubber tramp thing. Not not a real high dollar thing, but definitely sort of in the Back of beyond, way in the backwoods. Now this uh, Venezuela thing was kind of kind of tricky. They're a little bit more regulated than some of the other uh, South American countries. And if I was ever to do it again, I probably wouldn't take the car to Venezuela. I'd try someplace a little bit looser, maybe maybe Colombia or maybe um, Peru might be a good place to get one in if you had a car from the uh, driving it down to Panama or from the west coast, you could get it in there. But uh, this way it turned out fine. We got it out of the out of the container and jumped in the car and charged up the battery and it had a few issues, but nothing real, nothing real major. It what, had some electrical what, problems for a while. What kind yeah. What kind of car was it anyway? It was a it was a Subaru Subaru Legacy, and this was in 1999. The car is actually only a few years old, so it was a station wagon, kind of perfect for a family. It looked, you know, pretty mainstream. Blended right in. It was not a uh, not a fancy car at all, and it had this uh, damage to the back that the uh, tailgate was uh, was kind of smashed in. We had it to the point where it was working, but it didn't. No way it'll look good. It's kind of just a wrinkled up looking car. So the geography is pretty interesting. From uh, Venezuela, you have, you have Caracas in the high country, and you have uh, 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 seaports down on the coast that are just hotter than blazes, so we got out of there as soon as we could. We went, uh, we'd already seen Caracas because we'd been there for a week, and we drove down across the Orinoco Basin uh, through uh, southern southern Venezuela, um, past, I guess there's some, uh, there's Angel, Angel Falls down in there, and the, the part that we liked the most actually wasn't the name brand places. They have a, a huge national park in the southern part of the country. It's called... Uh, Grand um, Grand Sabana, and it's a, a higher country, probably four or five thousand feet high, with some very interesting uh, uh, mountains, sort of tableland mountains. They call them hippies, and these get up as high as ten thousand feet. Um, you can climb to the top of one of them. You can't drive up there, but uh, you can get up on top of these. They're like uh, buttes in the American West, only they're a different kind of vegetation. A lot of a lot of rain up there, very, very uh, pleasant climate, and kind of a lot to do, really. A lot of, a lot of little uh, hikes and parks and waterfalls and stuff you can see on the way down. 
So the idea of this whole trip was we're gonna gonna get on this road and just drive south through Brazil and into uh, across the Amazon and then into the uh, more more modern part of Brazil. When you look on the Brazil map, the one that they publish, there's all kinds of roads on this map. There's a what they call a perimeter road that goes around the western side of the country. That's sort of a military thing. And that's a dotted line on most maps. It's something that they want to build. They haven't really got very far on it. Pieces of it are, pieces of it are together, but uh, not, not all of them by any means. So as we came, as we came south out of Venezuela, we had uh, a couple of weeks to get the car out of the country, and that turned out to be kind of an issue. Was was uh, how long you were allowed to keep a car in a country? And in Venezuela, that was only two weeks. So we had to get it out of there. We got into Brazil. That gave us, I think, three months or something with the car in Brazil. This was plenty of time. Now, did you have any register? Did they make you registered or anything, or was it without? Uh, did you have any documentation, like a license plate on the car? Yeah, what we did was we had the export title from Florida. I took that, and before I ever, uh, Alaska was kind of wild and free, so I took the export title. And this happens up here in Alaska all the time, is where all you have to do to get license plates in the state of Alaska is to bring the old title in. You don't have to actually show the car, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, it's a good thing. So we took the title into the DMV here in in uh, Homer, and the lady gave us uh, plates and a title for this car. So it was a, a bureaucratic thing. There is no such thing as a salvage title in Alaska. And they gave us plates like it was just a regular car. So we did what the Floridians wanted. They took, they wanted the car out of the country, so on a barge it went. And Alaska gave us the plates and the title for the um, car. But, but really, what they do in these countries is they give you um, a temporary title. They, even, they look at your title, but they don't really care about where it's from, about whether it was Alaska or wherever. What they want to do is they give you a time limit before you have to get it registered in the in the country, and that's that varied from one country to the next, and that was kind of the the problem. You had to display the paperwork that the customs guy gave you when you came into the country to um, legally drive in the in, in the South American countries. So that was the that was the issue. You got you got 90 days to get the car out of the country. If you exceeded that, you had to pay a fine or, or uh, there'd be problems. And uh, there were problems later on in our trip about getting the – if you don't leave in, in the window that they give you, then then all hell breaks loose. But we didn't know that for a while. We just went traveling through Brazil. And the, the uh, probably the most interesting part of that – of the trip – actually, the car, we, we had it there for, I don't know, four or five years, and – um, I went down there periodically. The first trip was almost six months long. After that, we went down periodically. I just we go down for a few weeks, or three weeks, or something, and uh, move it, move it, or explore a different part of South America during uh, subsequent trips. But this first uh, this first stage, um, we're looking at the map and found this road that went through uh, the Grand Savannah to get us out of Venezuela. Got out of the country just fine into Brazil. They gave us the paperwork that we needed to keep going. 
And what I forgot to tell us was that uh, there was no road beyond Manaus. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a paved highway. There's a place called Boa Vista in the northern part of the country. And Manaus is actually quite a modern city. So from the north, you can approach Manaus by road without much problem at all. It's all, it's all paved and nice and um, quite wealthy, really. Boa Vista is a, is a gold mining town. They have uh, dredges operating there, and there's, there was quite a bit of, at least 10 years ago, there was quite a bit of value. And I'm sure it's even better now with the price of gold. But they, uh, they have dredges operating there, and the city was, was really kind of booming. It was it was it was going places. There were new cars and paving everything, and just growing like mad to to uh, uh, turn it into quite a modern place. So this was all going just fine. We went, you know, we were visiting the parks in Venezuela, and we got into do some hiking up on the Gran Sabana, and then we crossed the border into Brazil and down to Boa Vista. We went, and this was all just. Uh, it was, it was traveling right along. It was, it was just fine. Hey, Bill, were uh, you, after that, were you camping out? Were you, how were you uh, spending the night? Were you camping, or were you staying in little uh, hotels? How are you? How are you spending the nights there? We had, we had camping equipment. We had the uh, sleeping bags and tents, but we didn't really do it much. We we camped in a uh, campground in a park in uh, Puerto Cabello when we were getting the car. But only for a night or two, and typically the prices of, at least at that time, the prices of hotels in Brazil were just just uh, dirt cheap, and the idea of camping out when it was sweltering, sweltering hot didn't really appeal. You know, camping is more, if it's so hot that you can't be in a sleeping bag, um, well, then you're going to get eaten by the mosquitoes, and it's just not a, it, for us. For us, it was a little too hardcore, and since we were in a car, it was just too easy to stop at a little hotel or a little, uh, uh, you know, bed and breakfast type of thing on the way out. And there were some beautiful, there were some beautiful places to stay in Brazil. The currency at the time was pretty low, so we got maximum value. So there were some nice hotels at uh, bargain rates. So it wasn't, it wasn't too primitive. There were a few days where we camped, but not. Not many, mostly right off the get-go, and um, further on, actually a year later when we were down in Argentina, we started doing a lot more, a lot more camping because the weather was better and it was just a, it, it was just a more pleasant experience down there. So we kept uh, we kept going along to Boa uh, Vista. I don't know, not that we'd cover a whole lot every day, maybe a couple hundred miles or three hundred miles, that kind of thing, and. Just kind of keep making our way south towards the city of Manaus, and Manaus is the kind of the capital of the jungle. It uh, never really had a road system till, um, well, I don't know, till well, I, a number of, never really had much of a road system till probably 20, 30 years ago when they got this connection from the north. But it is a bustling place. It imported all kinds of cars and buses and stuff into the city, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. That it was so isolated, but it definitely is. It's isolated from any kind of uh, uh, car traffic, but it's the center of operations for a whole fleet of uh, of boats. They have everything from ocean liners right on down to to dugout canoes and everything in between. All kinds of heavy uh, 
a common thing is a double-decker uh, ferry boat for passenger ferries, and these were traveling all over the place. The, the uh, Manaus is at this uh, intersection of, of uh, where two large tributaries for the Amazon join up, and then it becomes this huge waterway to the Atlantic Ocean. So it's a it's a water-based economy there. They have all kinds of resources coming in, and it's a supply route for, for the smaller villages and towns up the up the rivers from uh, from Manaus. So that's another very interesting place to visit. It's a it's the way the way to do it simply is just to fly in from Miami, bang bang, there you are, and you can um, uh, visit the visit the town and the surroundings. Quite easily. There's there's a bit of a road system now that goes down the river, down down the Amazon, probably 30, 40 miles before it pinches out. And this road I'm talking about that goes north towards Boa Vista. Outside of that, there's uh, some great trips that uh, go up the river on the Rio Negro into a there's sort of a braided area of uh, river where it splits into a lot of different channels, and that's got a lot of wildlife and um, I'm not even sure. It's a, it's a, a bit of an unexplored place, uh, or it was. I think maybe now there's getting a few tourist boats to go up there, but uh, it's a place that would be well worth visiting. We didn't. We had our car, and we had a plan. We were going to take this car and cross the Amazon River on a ferry and continue on on what was pitched on the highway map as being a road that goes from Manaus down to the central part of Brazil. So I was telling you about this uh, uh, dotted line, this uh, perimeter road that was on the map, and we could see that that one didn't exist, but there was a full-on red highway line on our map that said there was a uh, road that goes from Manaus south towards, I forget the name of the city, but uh, it goes southwest and into the uh, heart of Brazil. Now, as it turns out, when we got to uh, Manaus, started asking around about the ferry boats and this and that, and and we didn't know any any Portuguese, so we had a little problem there. But it finally became clear that there was there was no ferry, there was no boat that took you across the Amazon, and the reason there was no boat to take you across the Amazon is because there was no boat ramp on the other side. There was no way to take a car off and put you off on a road because the road didn't exist. The road had been, there was some sort of mud track that had fallen in, into disuse. I don't know what it was, but I guess it was some poor excuse to put a put a line on a map as it was, but it was completely not utilized. So Manaus is on the north, and Manaus is on the north side of the river? Yeah, Manaus is on the, is actually on the, uh, um, peninsula between the two. So the Rio Negro, uh, a huge river, goes goes uh, on one side, and the Solomones, the mainstream of the Amazon, goes on the other, and Manaus is right in between those two. So that's set up a beautiful location. You can look downstream at the two pieces of the Amazon coming together, and it's like a, a sea, an inland sea. It's a, a very wide massive amount of water that's there. So it's more like traveling well, a bit on, on a lake, really. It's not rough or anything. And you can see the current. There's quite a bit of current. But uh, like I was saying, they have every boat you can imagine bustling about 
about this. This uh, river, it's, uh, it fluctuates in, in volume tremendously. There's a uh, wet season, a rainy season, where the river will come up like 50 feet. And so they've accommodated this by putting floating uh, docks for the uh, ocean liners, so truck ramps that go out into the current, and at, at uh, low season, then you're, you're traveling, you know, the, the ramps go downhill quite steeply to get down to where the boats are. And at the high season, well, the water can come high enough to where it, you know, nearly floods the city of Manaus. So it's a huge, huge annual fluctuation that comes through there. So we had this um, uh, problem because <laughs> we had a car in Manaus and uh, uh, no real, no no ferry, no road on the other side. And my wife was not pleased about this. She uh, she was um, <laughs> she was a little dismayed that I hadn't done better research. But I was doing my best. I was trying. So we had a had a, a problem there sitting in the house, and it turned out that with um, a bunch of good fortune, they had a, a ferry. Uh, a government-owned boat, uh, I think it was pretty highly subsidized, that made a two-week trip. It made a trip up and down the Amazon from Manaus down to uh, Palame on the Atlantic coast. And this uh, this ferry, we could have been in real trouble if it had just left or, if it was, you know, if we had to wait, we could have been stuck in Manaus for quite a while. As it turned out, we were stuck in Manaus all of, like, six hours. We got there. They finally pointed out that, uh, that oh, you know, to, to get out of here, you can uh, take the, the ferry down past Santarim and to Belém, to Belém on this uh, national ferry. The ferry was built for uh, for people. It wasn't a car ferry at all, and they had sort of a little box in the middle of the thing where they could haul. I guess it was a half a dozen, maybe a dozen cars could go in there. Just cars, no trucks. All of the uh, freight that came up and down the Amazon goes on uh, flat barges out. Just they, they they put it on like containers or or on a flat barge and take it up and down with tugs. That wasn't really an option because those can't carry a uh, passenger. So we had really good luck. We put our car in the middle of this uh, state ferry and we rode the, uh, down the Amazon on this. Uh, on this the government boat, and it was the coolest thing. It ended up um, uh, it was a double decker thing, so it had a real uh, high high. I don't know what you'd call it. There's a deck up top. It was open to the sun, and that was not used at all during the day. It was just too hot, and they had a fan tail on the back. And the place that we all stayed was in the mid mid deck, which was open to the air. So this this uh, ferry was traveling traveling about eight knots, I guess. And there was this breeze coming through the uh, workings of the ferry. with just wide, no windows, just wide open. So we had this this uh, breeze that came through uh, the place where everybody was riding. That was a, it was just barely cool enough to be tolerable. It was really hot down there in the middle of the day on the Amazon. The sun was beat down, wasn't much wind, and the only the only cooling that we had was kind of staying in the shade and get the breeze that was produced by the boat moving forward. So there we were, stuck on this boat. That was a 
I kind of remember a three or four day trip, three day trip to get down from uh, Manaus to uh, to Belém on this boat. So did and you have did, did you have the provisions necessary? Did you have uh, food and water and everything you needed on this trip then when you got on the boat? They have they we had some groceries, so just we got separated from our car. The car's down in the in the uh, in the in the hold, and we were up on this uh, this deck, this Nazine deck, I guess you would call it, and we had some food. They had a kitchen where they would cook for everybody, but it was a very, you know, they made something like soup, or they would make one dish, and you know, a stew type of thing. It was very, uh, it was not very appetizing stuff. I think I ate it once. Mostly we just, just uh, uh, eat what we brought along, and they had a bit of a store. They had you could buy a few things. You know, there were probably a hundred people on this boat, and they were uh, eating out of sack lunches like we were, or else they'd buy a little bit, or else they'd go to the. It wasn't a cafeteria; it was just sort of a kitchen where you could get a little bit of food to get you get you going. So this whole thing that wasn't like we had state rooms or anything like that. This was just wide open to the air. And they had, uh, like, steel playpens where they had these uh, bars and sort of checkerboard affair where people would kind of camp out inside these uh, pens. And they were smart. The people that came down, they all had hammocks. So they'd tie these hammocks onto the rails and just spend uh, a while the while day away in these hammocks. And that was a pretty good way of traveling. You can, you know, they cool on all sides. Um, once you learned how to sleep in a hammock, you could just do just fine. Now, we didn't have any of that. We didn't have any hammocks. What we had was thermarest pads, and that was a bad idea because then we were sleeping on the deck. It was quite a bit hotter and not the cleanest thing. That you can, as you can imagine, it wasn't the cleanest thing you could find. So we had our playpen. We were on the floor. Everybody's kind of looking at us and wondering why we didn't have hammocks like the rest of the crowd. So that's the kind of the the uh, living style was we were all in this, in this sort of area, communal living type of thing, and people trying to talk to us, but we didn't know a word of, of uh, Portuguese, and that was a, kind of a drawback. If we didn't know a little bit more language, it would have been more interesting to be able to talk to the folks, because these were not, these were the locals. These were actually not high-dollar locals. Brazil is very stratified economically. The people that have money fly out of Manaus. They don't take this boat. So anybody with a lot of money would, would be uh, on a plane. And anybody that's too poor couldn't even afford the ferry ride. So they were lining the banks of the Amazon where there were quite a few uh, little um, cabins and houses where people would just live in their lives. They'd never, you know, they didn't ever travel because they didn't have any money to travel. They couldn't afford even so much as a, as a ferry ride. So we were kind of in the Middle class, I guess, is what you'd call it. These folks were a bunch of kids going to school, and uh, uh, who else would be on? Farmers, I guess, or somebody that had had made a little bit of money and maybe traveling to see some relatives. So it was very, very amiable, very uh, sociable place. Everybody was having a pretty good time. So there we were, just traveling with these folks. We had a couple of a uh, couple of interesting experiences there that. This was on this ferry was on a regular schedule, and the folks that were on the living on the shore of the Amazon 
knew knew that, and they were living in dugout canoes and living with you know just a corn-based economy. I think basically eating corn and not much else. And so uh, they get in their dugouts, and when this boat came by, people would throw them stuff. They'd take a, a plastic grocery bag and stick, you know, a T-shirt in it or just some sort of present, tie it up in the bag and throw it off the uh, side of the vessel as it went scooting by. And these guys, these kids were were just amazing uh, boatmen. They'd have these little dugouts, and they'd come out and chase these bags around and, and uh, yell at the, uh, you know, just sort of say hello to everybody on the boats. And, and then two weeks later, they do the same thing. So this, for those guys, was a big deal in their life, you know, the... the Ferry was coming by, and they'd come and meet it, and maybe they'd get a shirt out of the deal. It was uh, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So these were just further down the river. These were just gi- these were just gifts that people were giving to the the people that lived along the river, just kind gifts. Then, yeah, just kind of just giving them something. It was like um, uh, a charity of some sort. You know, just, just give us give somebody the shirt off your back is what it looked like to be. That'll uh, had an extra teacher that you didn't like very much, you could throw that over a pair of pants or maybe a pair of shoes. You didn't want to throw anything that stank, and I didn't see him throw. I didn't see him throw money. I don't know whether there was money in these plastic bags or not. It was it was plastic grocery bags that kept stuff afloat. And this would work when you went past the village where the where the ferry approached the beach. It was uh, the the river was you know a solid mile across, and this happened would it happened over and over again. But when the channel approached the beach and there were people living on the shore, then they'd be this sort of scurry of activity, and people would come to the, go to the rail on the on the ferry and throw stuff over. So that was pretty nice. Then later, later, I will later on this happened again, but I'll I'll get to that in a minute. What we had uh, uh, in the evenings, this was a pretty quiet place in the afternoon, hot, and everybody would just be in their hammocks, uh, uh, sleeping, the, sleeping the afternoon away. But as soon as the sun went down, then things would start to cool off. You know, it, kind of, it gets real pleasant in, uh, in the evenings there. It gets, uh, gets dark real fast. You know, the sun doesn't, doesn't go on an angle when it goes into the, when it, when it goes down. It's a equator straight down deal, plunk, you know, uh, half hour later after the, after the sun is, Hot and bright. Maybe a half hour later, it's pretty much pitch black. So it doesn't it doesn't take long for it to to go down. And it happens it happens every day at the same time. And so there's sort of this this sundown um, uh, sundowner affair where uh, people just sort of come out come out and it's a pleasant time to uh, for conversation and discussion and and people that go sit on this fan deck. Uh, I'm telling you about fan tail at the back of the boat. And uh, there were a few tables back there, and guys selling some beer out of a out of a cooler, and it was just the coolest thing. Pretty soon, somebody turned on a uh, radio, to get one of those little stereo stereo radios, and set that up, and people start to dance, and it was just the just the most interesting thing. I really I really liked it. I I had a, a a good time sitting on that on that fan tail watching. They knew how to dance. There were some amazing, amazing dancers there. They'd get out, and so that would go on probably half the night. I don't know. I didn't stay up as late as the, as the kids did. But it was very much of a kind of a, a 
Oh, it was more than a single scene, but there was a single scene there, and then also the grown-ups would hang out you know, around the outside and just let the breeze blow by. And so, I don't know, let the breeze blow by, drink a little beer, and look at the Amazon over the rail. So a very pleasant part of the trip was, was uh, that whole deal. So on we went. After a day or two of this, the Amazon is... Uh, big river at this point we went past two other large cities one of them was called Santa Rem and it does indeed have a road that goes from the south to Santa Rem but at the time of year that we went by the ferry couldn't unload cars at Santa Rem it was too far down the beach so we were stuck with our car in this uh, in this ferry that turned out to be a good thing it was another another day and a half or so to get down to Malayan and that was another fine part of the trip. It was a good, good thing to do to go down, keep, keep on going. What happens below Santa Rem, uh, a few miles below that, I forget the exact name of the town, but the Amazon itself splits into a number of different uh, channels. And it's like going through, an, uh, there's these big doors up ahead. You look and there's pieces of jungle and one, one branch of the river goes one way and one branch goes the other way, and they're all huge channels. They're just they're massive, uh, uh, massive river at this point. And our ferry boat was quite a small thing, and we started winding through these channels at the bottom. That gets to be the, the top of the Amazon Delta, and we uh, uh, were running through these channels to get to the land. It was probably the better. Oh, it was at least a day to get through that. And there's a whole a whole uh, culture living down there. It's not I wouldn't say it was indigenous folks, but it's people that are making a in a very uh, basic way subsistence living down there. And they just lived on the water. The boys and boys were on the water, and there's a few farms up on the high country. And I think a lot of them made money by uh, harvesting timber by chopping down the rainforest. Basically, is what it would be. But there's quite quite a bunch of them there, and they too knew about the about the schedule for the ferry. And there was one place where these boys were good enough with their uh, with their dugouts that they could catch the ferry. They'd make kind of a sprint, and they wait for the ferry to go by, and they would sprint up with their boat, and they get it going fast enough where they could throw a line over the side of the ferry boat rail. And all of a sudden, their little dugout is surfing along that eight knots. It's just flying. And they come aboard and then talk to everybody. So the, the boat is hanging there, bouncing around in the waves. And these boys are up on the on the boat having a little ride. So they come along for, oh, I don't know, uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, and uh, shoot the breeze with whoever talked to them and try to get all the, uh, <laughs> well, a little begging, I guess is what you'd say, try to get a dollar or two for, for a tip or whatever just to try to make a living doing this. And then they'd, uh, you know, they didn't want to get too far from home, so back to the stern they'd go. They'd dangle their kayak off the stern in the, in the prop wash so the, the uh, dugout's just bouncing around in the foam back there. And then they tie it loose and dive into the Amazon so that the boat's leaving them. They just they just dive into the water and jump into their kayak, into their uh, dugout, and paddle it on home. But they, no life jackets, 
nothing like that. But they were the most uh, very able boatmen and very at home in the water. They they were like a seal, you know. They they'd be in the water one minute and out the next, and very good at this stuff. And you know, people if you tried that on a ferry in the states, the people would speak out so bad that they it would never go. But down there, it was just the captain of the ferry didn't care. Nobody else cared. I didn't see anybody get hurt, but uh, <laughs> I guess it could have to get ground up in the prop or something on the ferry boat. But this was all uh, just uh, uh, every day, every time the ferry come by, these kids would come out, and it was kind of the highlight of their week, I guess. There wasn't much going on down there except uh, the occasional boat going by. So we had the, the ferry boat that was uh, carrying passengers. There was some other river traffic. There were some boats and going ships. I remember um, some Japanese loading uh, timber, uh, uh, a lot of timber, at just up the up river, just up the river from Belaine is where we saw this. So it's a pretty interesting uh, little diversion from the usual tourist trip. I think uh, I recommend it to anybody. I think Manaus would be a great place to go. Don't have to take the ferry boat. There's lots of uh, Smaller passenger boats, not uh, they're not government run, they're private vessels, and it uh, there's a network of uh, of rivers that start from Manaus. I think I tried to do it again. I'd probably go upstream next time, just because I've been downstream now. But uh, I think uh, it's a great spot for anybody that likes watercraft. If you like boats, it's a good place to go. So, did, Bill, where did you eventually get your boat off? I mean, your car off the boat? Then where did you finally get off? Okay. So the logistics of this whole thing is you've got to get a car to Manaus, and that comes from the north the easiest. Uh, it comes through Venezuela. There is no other road to Manaus that I know of that actually exists. Uh, once you get to Manaus, you get onto a downriver-bound vessel. You could you could put your car on a barge and ride a different boat down. Uh, that would be a little problematic. Uh, or you can ride the state vessel, the state ferry. I imagine that's improved. They, they. I looked at it again a few years ago, and I think there's a ferry now that has air conditioning, and it goes from Manaus down to Santa Rem. They made a stop there. They made a stop at another town or two, and then it goes to the the city of Belém in uh, right at uh, tidewater in uh, in uh, Brazil, so right of the eastern coast there. So that that wasn't strictly in. We never actually saw the Atlantic Ocean. I think that was still another well, 50 miles away in the, in the Delta country. You could spend a while just with a skip and an outboard in the in the uh, uh, channels down there at the, that outside of Belém. That would be another fine trip. So, so Bill, when you yeah. when you um, we, so this was totally unanticipated. This this whole boat ride down the Amazon was was basically uh, an accident, wasn't it? Yeah, this was this was an adaptation. This was a this was a plan as you go. The plan didn't include a river trip. My wife's a runner and she doesn't really like being cooped up on a boat. And she was a little um she was a little miffed that I'd done this to her. She was she was sure that I should have done a better better job of planning of <laughs> finding out if there was a road or not. And uh, that didn't go over so well. It did go. Uh, I, we uh, didn't have much time in Manaus. And there's it's an interesting city. 
we got an opera house in there, and we drove. We did a drive-by of the opera house. That's been there for 100 years. It's kind of their landmark tourist attraction. We saw the thing, but not from the inside. We saw that on the way to get to catch the ferry before the ferry boat left. So this was all unanticipated, and it was just uh, right on us. It was just raw luck, you know. It was something that it looked like it might have been going to be a very uh, a big hassle, and it turned out that it was not. It was a it was a beautiful thing. There, uh, that was one of the finest travel trips I've done. I, I just remember sitting on the fan tail of that vessel watching these kids dance and and they were beautiful. There were there's some women there that just gorgeous and it was uh and just quite the quite the uh, cultural experience for us. I really liked it. So for that trip that you took, how far did you eventually I mean we'll pro- we'll probably talk about other parts of this trip or other parts of your stories because I, I think I mentioned in one of my first two podcasts that uh the I had so much travel envy of you as a kid. When I when I took you from uh, Logan, Utah, out to uh, to drop you off your hitchhiking trip around, uh, I think you hitchhiked to, to New York and then around to New York, you caught a <laughs> you caught a flight to I think Morocco. Was that right? And then around I, yeah, that was that was one of the yeah. I mean, I, I dropped I, I dropped you off and I dropped you off and you continued on and I had so much travel envy of you at the time that that you got a lot of stories to tell and. And I'm probably going to get you back to tell more stories because you're a good storyteller and, and you've had a lot of experiences. So I uh, appreciate it, Bill. And and maybe with you telling yeah, your you story. Know, Go ahead. You know, you know Franz, that there's other stuff on this trip, but it's better to kind of piece it together rather than just let it drone on. You can end up, if you, it ends up being, you're going to have to cut this, but it ends up being a big travel, sort of big travel log after a while. It's better just to pick. Let me think about it and pick a piece or two of this other trip because there, there was, you know, like I was telling you, this this car didn't disappear. We were down there for this this six month trip and, and we left it parked in uh, South America one year and it, we left it parked in Argentina one year and we parked it in Chile twice I think and I think what I should have done is parked it in Paraguay. That would have been those are kind of that's kind of a lawless place and I think you pretty much do as you please down there. But the other other places we'd leave it, I'd have to go back. You know, Argentina was good. They gave you eight months. I was looking for a place where they give you a year of uh, temporary registration. But if I could talk about talk about that at a different time, this is this this uh, definitely broke the trip up. This this uh, boat ride down the down the Amazon. It's one of the world's great river. You could do it. You can do it in any number of ways. You know, you could do it like we did on the ferry boat. Do it without a car would probably make some sense. You know, just fly into Manaus and and uh, jump on one of the one of the boats. You could do it as a, as a planned trip. I'm sure there's uh, there's tourist uh, travel agents that will that'll arrange it so you could uh, you know that you don't have to worry about anything. But the beautiful thing is to do it where you're just sort of randomly. Pick a vessel when you get there. Have a look at it. Make sure it's not going to sink. It doesn't look like it's going to sink anyway. And jump aboard and just go some random place. It doesn't have to be Belém. It could be just a few miles up the river or a few miles down the river. There's a there's another port um, down the river from Belém that might be good. You could you could actually do it with a dugout or some just real small boat float down the Amazon for a day or 
probably be two days to get down there and then take the bus back. It's a, it's another, uh, another, uh, that's a paid road. That's another, one of the other paid roads that leaves Manaus, but it's not very, uh, it's not very far away. So, yeah, so I don't know, uh, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a beautiful place to travel. It's a little bit hot. You have to watch out for the, uh, the day. You know, you want to be in the shade in the middle of the afternoon, and it's real easy to get into, into the siesta mode. But as I, as I was saying, it just blossoms into something really remarkable in the evenings. It's kind of a, kind of that's when the life is led down there. Great story, Bill. Thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll talk some more, Bill. Thanks a lot. So that concluded my interview with Bill. Uh, later on that day, I made an MP3 copy of the file and sent it to him. Uh, later that day, I got an email from him. And it said, Hi Franz, I thought I ran on a little bit, but I'm glad you liked it. If we do it again, we should have more questions, a bit more back and forth. Lots of fun to think back on that trip, a remarkable experience. I remember reading the newspaper on the stern deck of the ferry, listening to the ghetto blaster and watching those Brazilian girls dance. I read that Miss India just won the Miss Universe pageant and her picture was in the paper, but every one of those girls had her beat, Bill. Well, that's the point of putting together stories like this and asking you to remember your stories and share them with them. And part of it's for your benefit, for you to recall those memories. And then part of it is to share with others your memories. And I hope you uh, take advantage of this this opportunity and this podcast and share your adventures and your travel stories with us. Use our website to search for travel services. And uh, email me if you have comments on the show. It's Franz, F-R-A-N-Z at TravelTradeExchange.com and if you have stories to submit in MP3 format send them to story at TravelTradeExchange.com Thank you very much and I hope you continue listening.